morning, Impact. How are you doing this morning? Now, we're gonna, I'm going to go for something lofty. It's the beginning, sort of. We're a couple weeks into it. But the beginning of a new year, and a lot of people made New Year's resolutions, and I'm thinking that 99% of you have already failed on those New Year's resolutions. And so, and the rest of you, the other 1% are probably going, I'm done. I'm not even going to do these things anymore. And so, against that backdrop, it seems a little lofty to do a series called Dream Again. I mean, sadly, most people stop dreaming when they're kids. Think right now. I want you to think back. Those of you that are over 15, I want you to think back to what did you dream about being when you grew up? Just take a few seconds. In fact, do better than that because some of you just go, I ain't doing nothing. Yes, you will. Tell the person next to you what you dreamed of being when you grew up. And don't tell that person you're not grown up. I hear three of you saying it. Come on, do it. I should be hearing fireman, astronaut, come on. I heard cowboy. All right, we're getting a little little punchy in here, okay. Four of the most famous and memorable words in all of history. In fact, they're so famous, this is risky, with a sleepy group like you. Think of four words, famous words. Everybody in America knows them. What do you think they are? What do you think I'm thinking? Yeah, you got it. You actually got it. Wow, you're sharper than I thought. I have a dream. They're, of course, the uh, well-known words of Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights speech. And he he had a dream of, of doing life together. He said, I have a dream where my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, let me ask you something. This is a tough question. Just because he had a dream and just because he said it out loud, did our nation go, oh, He's got a dream. That's good enough for me. Let's do it. And it happened the next day, right? Is that how it went down? That is not how it went down, right? So just saying you have a dream and have it, you got to fight for it. I mean, you have a lot of struggles on the way. There were years of struggle for him. There was pain. There was loss. In fact, he eventually gave his life to see that dream come true. Gang, any dream worthy of having is worth fighting for. And when God gives you a dream, you gotta understand this. God is not gonna give you a dream that you are absolutely not ready for and then just go, watch this, angels. <laughs> I mean, he has no prayer doing this. I gave him a dream to run in the Olympics. All right, he's 5'5", five, five, 300 pounds. <laughs> he can't do it. In fact, I'm gonna have him do the hurdles. This is great. And no, he's going to tap somebody, and then he's going to get you ready for that dream. He's going to prepare you, and that's what we don't like. That's what we don't like. See, we think when we have a dream, God gave me a dream. God fired me up about something, so God, do it. And God's saying, we're going to do this together. And first, there's boot camp. First, we're going to chisel off the rough edges on you, and you'd be surprised how many rough edges you actually have. And we're going to work you through, and we're going to get you ready, because I called you to do this. I will complete it. I started a work in you. I will complete it. I will get you ready to bring glory to my name. I'm not going to send you out there half-cocked. You will be ready. All this he does in order to prove us faithful and ready. All of us dream. I don't want anybody to raise their hand and and be that one little maverick because I just won't believe you. says, I have never dreamed. All of us dream or used to. And I'm not talking about I went to sleep last night and had a nightmare and, you know, no, not that dream. It doesn't have to be even the dream you have when you fall asleep. It can be just a dream of something great. Some people dream of shallow things. I just want to win the lottery, then I would change the world. God's going to say to you, start changing the world now and let me provide. But everybody dreams, or used to. Some people have given up on their dreams. Still others, there's probably people here living the dream. 
I mean, you dreamt something, you stayed with it, and you're living it. But I've never met anyone who wouldn't be willing to at least dream again if, if they knew they had a shot at it. I mean, I, I don't, I've never met anyone that said, listen, what if all those obstacles were taken out of your way? What if everything was removed? What if the road was smooth? What if you were guaranteed that that come true? If you just work pretty hard for a couple of years, and at the end of that, yes, you will get it. Would you dream again? I mean, there may be somebody that said, no, I wouldn't. I don't even want it anymore, I guess. But most people would say, yeah, I mean, if I, I knew I could get it, I, I would dream again. So I have a lofty goal in this series. I want us to dream again. That's what the series is all about, living out Ephesians 3.20. That verse means so much to me, and my wife knew it too, that it's printed on the inside of my wedding band. Ephesians 3, not the whole verse, because it would be very hard to read, but just the reference, which says, and I love the way the message puts it. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. So sometimes we go to God and we just back up the truck and dump all these things that we want, but he's saying, God can do a lot more than what you're even thinking. In fact, you can't even imagine what he could do if you would just align your heart with him. He does it not by pushing us around, by working within us. When people ask me, listen, I want you to hold that thought on the dreams. I want you to grip onto that. I want you to believe for just a few moments and we'll get back to that, all right? Let's talk about the south for a minute, can we? I'm a southerner. Raise your hand if you're a southerner. All right, raise your hand if you're a northerner. You know what's scary? We are in the south, the northerners outnumber the southerners in this. I don't know what's going on with it. I'm a southerner, born and raised pretty much in Southern California. So that makes me a southerner, through and through. Well, when people, um, listen, there was a couple out there in California, and I, I debated naming them and came up with just their initials. Now, let me not name them. They lived in the foothills of San Bernardino near me, they used to love hiking. I love to hike in the foothills back there too, through many of the canyons, and there's a lot of scenic trails. And on one such hike, they noticed some wild mushrooms growing all over the place. You can already see where this is going, can't you? And they decided to pick the mushrooms, because that's smart, and take them home. And a day or so later, they invited some of their friends over for a mushroom party. No, they did not smoke them. Listen, clean up your act. Don't be thinking that, all right? It's not that kind of mushroom party. They cooked them, all right? You mean Breaking Bad style? No, no, it's not that, not that kind of mushroom. So they sautéed them, breaded them, and fried them up. Sautéed them, breaded them, and fried them up. They made mushroom omelets. Does that sound appealing to anybody? Okay, three of you like that, mushroom omelets. A mushroom salad, even mushroom soup. Now they're with me until they said that they actually made a dessert using mushrooms. That's disgusting. That just should never be allowed. There should, there's dessert and mushrooms don't go to. Anyway, after dinner, as the guests were gathered at the table having a great time, the host went into the kitchen. They had this, this cat that's fat and lazy and kind of useless, like most cats, right? Who's with me on that, right? Aren't most cats, what are they there for? They're just there for fun to throw. Well, they had a fat, lazy old cat, and so she, the gal, um, scraped off the leftovers into the cat's bowl, and that's about the only time that cat will move, and it jumped up and gobbled up the uh, leftovers. Well, sometime later, the host went back into the kitchen and found the cat was lying on the floor, foaming at the mouth, just frothing, trying to struggle for breath, and the husband immediately phoned the vet to find out what was wrong. They the love the cat, and they told him the story and what happened, and we just walked in there after dinner and scraped it off. Well, the vet suspected that they had not picked mushrooms, that they had picked wild toad, toad, toad stools. Say that three times. 
And so he suggested that they quickly, ASAP, get themselves and their guests to the hospital. All of them needed to have their stomachs pumped. Anybody ever had their stomach pumped? I mean, just for fun. Anybody? No, it's not that fun. Oh, a couple of people have actually done it. For fun, Russ? Maybe. Just, okay. I've always thought you were a little bit off on that one. Okay, so they had their stomach pumped. Then they all returned back to that house, and they were just, you know, they dreaded it because they came back, and, and she knew when she drive, drove in that most likely they're going to find their, their little family friend probably not living anymore. But instead, she opened the kitchen door and found her little family friend with a new litter of kittens. She was not sick from the mushrooms at all. She was just pregnant and gave birth to little kittens. Kind of got that one wrong. Can you imagine? Have you ever felt that way? What they thought were the death throes, in reality, were birth pains. So I think this is what happens with dreams. This is what I know happens with a lot of people with dreams. As you watch it, and as you watch God chisel and get people prepared, they feel the pain, and they feel the agony of it, and they go, my dream is dying. My dream is dying. In fact, God, you're killing it. You're attacking my dream. You're not for this. This thing is withering away. These are death throes that I am in right now. And God is saying, I wish you would be patient. I wish you would wait. These are birth pains. And I'm about to give birth to the dream in you. But if you don't make it, you're never going to realize it. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. In other words, just open your Bibles. It's the first book there. Turn to chapter 37. Over the next four weeks, we're going to go over this series, Dream Again, and we are going to track the life of a dreamer. Biggest dreamer in all the Bible is Joseph. In fact, that was his nickname. It wasn't a fun nickname. Some of us get nicknames that we don't like. Mine was Rob the Blob, Rob the Slob. I didn't like either of those. Fortunately, they didn't stick, and they're not going to stick, are they, people? All right? That's it. They're not going to stick. My wife's going, some of those are still, no, they're not going to stick. So his brothers would call him that. His real name's Joseph, and he's one of the greatest men in the entire Bible. Let me give you a few quick facts about Joseph that I think you need to know to get the most out of this series. He's one of only two major characters in the Old Testament of whom there is no mention at all of sin. Who's the other one, gang? Anybody know? Daniel. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't sin, but their lives were so righteous that there's, in, in the telling of the story, there's no mention of any sin that Joseph ever did. Here's another fact. Genesis is one of the biggest books of the Bible. Well, one quarter of the book, 25% of the book of Genesis is devoted to this one man's story. So we go, well, that's, that's impressive. But when you think that Abraham's in here and you would think of the other things that are in here, like creation, that's kind of important. And let me give you an example. In Genesis 1.16, God devotes a mere five words to the creation of the universe. He gives 12 chapters to Joseph. Five words to the creation of the universe, 12 chapters to a single individual. I would have thought it would have been the other way around. Maybe you would have too. Joseph is a type of Christ, which means as you look at his life, it, it looks forward to what Jesus will be like. There's a lot of parallels that we will be seeing over the next several weeks in the life of Joseph that compare to Jesus. Very few people, another thing, have had in their life or will have in their life as many setbacks as this guy had. He's a dreamer. He had an amazing dream, several of them, from God. But the setbacks would have knocked anybody, would have derailed anybody from their dream. But it didn't derail him. He had a lot of setbacks. He is a great illustration of perseverance. He was a dreamer who, even in the darkest, most painful times, even when he saw the bright flame of the dream 
fizzle down to a candle and eventually just look like it was going to go, just go out altogether. He just, he, he kept dreaming. He kept dreaming against all odds. He kept dreaming again and again and again. He would just dream again. All right, Genesis 37, first couple verses. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. I know what a lot of you are thinking right here. All right, it starts out bad. You said he never sinned. Well, he's a narc right there, right? He's a snitch. He's a tattletale. But gang, Joseph gets a bad rap right here. He really does. It's one of my favorite stories, if not my favorite, the life of Joseph in the whole Bible. He's not really being a snitch. I want you to look at this a different way. He is just the only son of Jacob who's actually godly and obedient, the only one. I mean, this has been going on, gang, for years and years and years. These other brothers, these older brothers, who, by the way, aren't teenagers. They're full-grown men. They go out, they fool around, they squander money, they don't do a good job, and they can't be trusted. They've been hard to raise, they've been unruly, and yet Joseph's been godly. As such, he was in harmony with his father and accountable to his father, and he greatly loved his father. And so when his father said to do something, even if it wasn't going to be the best for Joseph, or he didn't think it was the best, he did it in love and obedience. Who does this remind you of? Already, right out of the gate. Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 29, I always do the things that please my Father. He said in Luke 2, 49, don't you know I have to be about my Father's business? So I want you to write a couple things down about dreams. If you are going to dream again, and, if you're, and, and by the way, this series isn't about you just dreaming again. Hey, my dream, my dream function is working. I'm dream, No, this is about you dreaming again and that dream being realized. Because otherwise, this is a waste, right? I want your dreams to come true, provided they aren't selfish dreams, provided you're not going, hey, I need to bring my friends. Everybody wants a Ferrari and a million dollars to win the lottery. Come get to impact. We're learning to have our... No, it's not that. But if you will align your heart with God, you'll do greater things than that anyway. So here's the first thing. The dreamer's road is full of speed bumps. It, it's just, it just is, gang. The dreamer's road is full of speed bumps. And if you don't know they're there, you're going to get derailed. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this or not, but one of our elders, Tim Rayborn, was dragging the trailer the other day, and, and he didn't know where he was going. He was following somebody, the church trailer, and they're getting far, further and further ahead, and so he took them down a back road to where they were going. I think it was Turnaround Toys, and there was just a series of these speed bumps on there, and he's getting so far ahead, he didn't know where he was going, so he had to floor it with the trailer. I mean, he had to hit it, and it made it over the first few speed bumps, but after about the third one, the whole trailer came off and it started going on its own journey. And Tim just took off there. Listen, if you don't know speed bumps are there, you don't know how to handle them, you're going to get derailed. It's just a fact. So God not only gave him a vision early on, he gave him a literal dream too, in fact. You can read about the first one in Genesis 37, beginning from verse 1. Right? Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account. So let's skip down to what we read before. Now, Joseph, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. So a couple things that I want you to get here. A couple speed bumps here. That literally means that he favored him. He's got 12 sons altogether and he shows partiality to one and treats the other. This is a bad idea. This is bad fathering. And he showed him that favorhood and you, by giving him a multicolored, some of your Bibles say, but actually a literal translation is, you know, how many of you ever heard of the, uh, the Broadway play, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoats? Any of you ever at least heard of that? 
Well, that's a great name. That sounds exciting. But that's not what this literally means. It doesn't mean he gave him a coat of many colors. It means he gave him a coat of many compartments, a, a coat of many pieces. That's what it literally means. It's like a, buying a really expensive ski jacket and you've got the fleece underneath and the shell out there or an Armani three-piece suit and each piece of it is worth a ton of money. He gave him that. And some of you might be hearing that and going, well, this, I can't relate to that at all. I, I don't care if I get a coat. And if I got a coat, my brothers and sisters wouldn't think I was favored. Well, in that culture, they didn't have the Lexus, okay? And they didn't have the Mercedes. And so to go out of the way and to make this for one, of, one child would have been pretty much like giving them a Lexus and saying, you other 11, you, you share the gremlin. You're going to drive that to school, and it's only about 30 years old. It does break down a lot, but you know how to work on cars. So you guys have that. Joseph has the brand new Lexus, okay? So it's going to cause problems. When his brothers saw, verse 4, that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak any kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Listen, gang, before this series is over, we're going to read that Joseph was set up by his father, hated by his brothers, beaten practically to death by his brothers, lost his privileged standing. He was thrown in a pit to die. Then he was taken out of the pit and sold into slavery. Then he got a good job at a powerful household in Egypt, but then he was accused of rape, and then he was thrown into prison. Then he lost all his authority and money, and then he was given false hope of getting out of prison several times. I mean, you talk about a derailed dream and more. This is just a little bit of what he's going to face. God gives him a dream, and then all of a sudden he goes through this. Now, let's zoom in on two things that we learned from the text. One of them I already talked about, so I'm just going to say a couple things about it real quick. The first one is that Joseph, and I'm saying it because of this, gang, there's going to be speed bumps on the road to realizing your dream. We got that, right? So here's a thought. Why add more? Why add more? I'm telling you, they're going to be there. So to add more would be ridiculous, right? You're never going to get a, your, yourself up to speed or your life up to speed if you just keep throwing obstacles in there because there's already going to be some. Some are from God to chisel you down to his perfection. Some are from Satan to get you derailed, but they're going to be there. The crazy thing is we throw more in there or, or we do it to others sometimes. And so his father shows favoritism to him. Here it is right in the scripture. He loved him more than his brothers. Gang, this is dumb. This is dumb on steroids. This is huge dumb. What a naive father. Listen, if you read about Jacob's life, and there's quite a bit of the Old Testament, quite a bit of Genesis devoted to him too, you see that Jacob had a rough life too, but he brought a lot of it on himself. He's had a rough life. And Joseph is what? The son of his old age. And so he's tired now. He has Joseph when he's an old guy, and so he probably doesn't have a lot of energy for chasing around little delinquents. He doesn't want him. But Joseph wasn't a little delinquent. Joseph wasn't rebellious. He was so godly and obedient and compliant that he just became a, a favored son. Watch this. Listen, parents especially, watch this. Passive fathers, I've noticed this, they tend to favor the child that is easiest to raise. I mean, and that mystifies the siblings because they look at it and they go, I don't, I don't really see anything better about him. It's not, he's not better looking, more athletic, whatever. Why are you favoring him? Sometimes we just favor the one that's just easiest to raise. It's difficult to deal with a child that's hard to raise. That's why they're hard to raise. So a passive father just tends to favor the one who doesn't give him a hard time. So fathers, you need to watch out for this. You need to not overlook that kid who's ADD. You need to not overlook that kid that's a struggle, that's having a hard time learning, that's, that's slow in maturing. 
Because that's somebody that God, if they give their life to God, that's somebody that can blossom. And that's somebody that can be great in God's kingdom. And they are fearfully and wonderfully made. A really great kid who's just struggling at just a little more slow. But if you favor one kid, you are actually putting obstacles in the way of that kid that you even say you love more. You're making his life harder. It's a speed bump of our own making. Here's another one. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, well, they hated him all the more, which tells me a couple things. They already hated him. They already hated him because their father favored him. So what does Joseph do? I had a dream, and let me just tell it to you, and they hated him all the more. Now, if I just shared a dream, people aren't going to hate me, but this dream is a pretty hateful dream. He told his brothers the dream about his own greatness, and his own greatness at their expense, pretty much. Point, as I said earlier, the road to realizing our dreams is full of speed bumps. It's full of hurdles. Don't add to them. Now, when you see that these brothers, all of them, 11 of them, hated Joseph all the more because he's sharing a dream, you go, man, this is harsh. These guys are rough on the poor little guy. It'd probably eliminate a little bit of ambiguity if I was to include just a tiny tidbit of information. See, Joseph's dreams, they tended to be about his brothers serving him and paying homage to him and saying how great that he was. How would you respond to your little brother coming towards you and you've got a ripped up t-shirt and jeans that don't even fit and so they're flood pants and that you're wearing, and he comes in his Armani suit and he's a kid and you're full grown adults and he goes, I had a dream that you guys are going to grow up. Oh, look, you're already grown up. Could start any day now. You guys are going to be serving me and paying homage to me. I was like a king in this dream. And you were like peasants. What do you think of my dream? They're going to go, I envision you dead. I mean, I, I like you better that way. I, I, I envision you. They're not, this is not going to endear the brothers. And why he would think that it would it is baffling to me. You probably, they're not, probably not going to encircle him and start singing, we love you, Joseph. We really do. We love you, Joseph. I don't know how the rest of that goes, but you probably wouldn't sing a cheesy song like that anyway. But they're not going to love him. They're not going to be endeared at all. Often, gang, all it takes to turn a neutral person into one of Joseph's brothers is for you to share about the great things that God's doing in your life that maybe he's not doing in theirs. You ever notice that? Be careful when you share a dream because sometimes all it takes to turn a neutral person into one of Joseph's brothers is for you to just share the great things that God is doing that they can't relate to. I've seen it time and time again. Piece of free advice, don't do it. Don't share it with everybody. Not till you've got it clear in your own head. If you do, you're going to find yourself like Joseph beaten, bruised at the bottom of a pit with a Federal Express label stamped on your forehead, bound for Egypt. It's not a good thing. That's coming up here in just a few verses. So I'll give you one thing. Here's the second thing about dreams. The race to realizing one's dreams is a marathon, gang. It's not a sprint. The race to realizing and laying hold of your dream, it's a long race. You've got to train for a marathon. This is not a 50-yard dash. And this is tough for us. Let's just be honest. This one's tough. Let's face it. We want what we want, and we want it now. We live in a culture and society that says, I want it now. I demand it now. If it's not fast, then I'll get someone else. Think of a couple of things. That's why we play the lottery, right? I mean, because we want money. We don't want to work. We just want to give a little bit and, and get lucky and have it now. That's why people go to Atlantic City or Vegas to gamble. 
That's why we have such a thing called no-fault quickie divorces, if love doesn't come fast and passionate all at once. That's why we text instead of writing letters. That's why we own microwaves and not many people use crockpots anymore. I mean, I can go on and on and on. If you look at our culture, basically what you look at, if you were to beam down as an alien to America, they would say, wow, this is an impatient bunch. This group wants what they want, and they want it great, and they want it excellent, and they want it now. They want it yesterday. In fact, if you won't give it to them now, yesterday, and in an excellent quantity and, and, and condition, they'll just get somebody else or hang out with other people that are quicker, faster on the draw. We don't want to wait for anything or stick too long with anything that isn't paying off uh, with instant gratification. Now, I'll bet that Joseph was pretty fired up about a dream from God, the God of the universe. Honestly, wouldn't you be? He gets a dream, and he knows it's from the God of the universe. He's probably pretty fired up. Dreams can seem magical. I mean, depending on what they are, they can even seem and actually be miraculous. In fact, Joseph felt so fired up about the dream, he ran, and he told them about a second dream. I mean, this guy has no self-awareness. He cannot pick up on the fact that arms are folded and their scowls and the eyes are down and they're looking at him and they're nodding their head. No, they're not celebrating with him. So he has another dream and he tells them, one dream would make me think that my life was about to change. But if I had two dreams like that in a row from God, then I'm thinking from God, my life is going to change now, right? Why is God hitting me with these dreams one after another? This is right around the corner. I'm selling my coat, my Lexus. You guys can have it. I'm off to easy street. Most people were telling their boss off at work, hey, I'll, let me tell you what I really think of you because I'm set. That's what a lot of people do when they win the lottery. Their true feelings come out about their boss. They're going to give away their clunker cars. They're going to run up the credit cards. Woo, my luck is about to change. So I'm thinking that Joseph's feeling this way a little bit. Truth is, most times your luck is not about to change. When God gives you a dream or a vision, hear me, it's not about to change. It's about to go into incubation. When you have the birth of a dream, it is like a chicken laying an egg. And you crack that open right now, you can maybe have breakfast, but you're not going to have a little baby chick, are you? So they have the egg, and then they've got to incubate the egg. There's an incubation period for dreams. If you don't believe me, let me give you a couple quick examples from the scripture. One, Moses was the prince of Egypt, but that wasn't God's dream. God's dream was that he was going to be the deliverer of his people. So to get ready for that, he spent 40 years in exile. 40 years in exile before becoming the liver of God's people. David was anointed king. Check this out. Uh, God had rejected Saul as king over Israel, and he said to Samuel, quit grieving Saul. I'm done with him. Go anoint a man after my own heart. So he found a man. Oops, it was a boy, about 15 years old. The prophet of all of Israel put oil on his head. The oil ran down. He said the words over him and officially anointed David, king of Israel. So if you're David, you're going, man, I'm young, but imagine the life. This is going to be great. And it was nine years later. After running from Saul, after fearing for his life, Saul threw a spear at his head twice to try and kill him. He brought armies against him and his mighty men of only about 600. He spent the next seven to nine years running from Saul, feeling like anything but a dream-realizing king. There's some work that had to be done on David. Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promise. The promise was the birth of his son, Isaac. He's 75 years old when God first made the promise to him. He's 100 years old when Isaac is born. I'll give you one more. Noah had to wait 100 years to figure out why he was building a carnival cruise ship. 
I'm working on this thing. I don't even see a lake nearby. What, what are we going to do with this thing? It had never rained before. One hundred years before he realized it. Gang, God doesn't just call us with a dream. He refines us for the dream. Get used to it. Then you'll see your dream realized. And, and the third thing. Want to know a way to speed it up? Let's be honest. I, I've just told you stuff, and some of you are sitting back going, this is dream again? This is like dream and get beat up. I don't like this series so far. Tell me the good part. Here's the good part. I want you to know what's coming next, because I don't think you're ready for it. Does anybody here want to dream of big things for God? Anybody raise your hand if you're the least bit interested in dream. Okay, that's most of you. I promise you, I've got something for you that you love. Do you want to speed that up? Anybody interested in taking that time, that seven to nine years, that 25 years, that 40 years? Anybody interested in shrinking that at all? Be honest. I am. Hey, there's a shortcut. I'm going to give you a shortcut in the Bible. It's not super easy, but it'll cut tons of time off the wait for your dream. The Bible's full of examples of individuals waiting to realize the dream. It also has several examples of people who pressed in closer and more intimately with God than ever before and were rewarded with clarity and answers much sooner. And here's something they all had in common. One word. You guys are going to hate it. And I know it, and you don't because I haven't said it yet. But you look so innocent and, and so unhurt right now, and yet here it comes. I said it to somebody this morning. They kind of looked at me like, well, you know, what is that? Why, do you, why would you do that? Are you normal? Is something wrong with you? All right. The lights are in my eyes, so I can't see you. I need to see your eyeballs on this one. Here's the magic. Here it is. Fasting. Fasting. This is the part where you clap and go, yeah, all right. All right, fasting. This is where the dream fast. That's what I got. I don't like to fast. How many of you like your steak? I do too. How many of you like chicken, fish, steak, all the meats, all of God's foods? How many of you are vegetarians? Okay, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for vegetarians. I don't know why anybody would want to eat leaves and stuff. Fasting. There's power in it. Let me give you a few examples. One, it brought strength and courage to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were captured and drawn away in captivity, and they were told to perform against all Nebuchadnezzar's mighty men that he had. And they basically said, you know what? What do you eat the king's foods? You eat all his luxuries, all his steak, his Twinkies, pastries, whatever that. And they said, no, let, let, we're going to fast instead for 10 days. We're going to fast and just eat vegetables. You guys eat all that junk, sacrifice to idols. We'll do this. And it, how about at the end of 10 days, you test us Olympic style and see who God blessed more. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the Jewish boys ran circles around the others. There's a lot of other examples. That's just one. It brought answers to Daniel. That's why some of you have heard of the Daniel fast. He was longing for God to give him clarity on a very scary vision, and he kept crying out for it, and so he began a fast, and that's when his answer finally came, 21 days into that fast. It brought Moses face-to-face -face with the God who made him. In fact, God passed by in front of Moses. He couldn't see God's face, but he passed by, and he could see the back of God. How many of you have had God do that for you? I better not see a hand. Nobody. That came after 40 days of fasting, and he received the Ten Commandments at another period of time, after 40 days of fasting. It kicked off Jesus' ministry. That should be good enough right there, right, gang? Jesus would not start his ministry, wouldn't do anything until he had gone up into the wilderness to be what? Tested. 
Some of you say, well, isn't he tempted? Yes, but the real word there, it's the same word in the Greek. Tested, tempted. Satan tempted him so that he could derail him. God was allowing him to be tested to get his son ready for the hardest mission in history. 40 days of fasting. It can get rid of particularly powerful and pesky demons. It brought the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, the gospel when it started out was just for the Jews. And then a man, a very godly man, the Bible says, was, was praying and fasting about God bringing something to him. His name's Cornelius. And then God sent people to him after his fasting. And the gospel became available to non-Jews as well. He fasted four days, after which time an angel appeared to Cornelius. Consequently, he and his family received the gospel and were baptized, and it just opened the floodgates for the church to blow up. Can give you courage and wisdom. Esther and the Jews of Shushan fasted when faced with their destruction planned by Haman. They knew that they were going to die if, if God did not intervene, so Esther called for a, a national fast of all the Jews for three days, and they were rescued. Ezra fasted and prayed for wisdom and protection when he prepared the people to return to Jerusalem from the captivity of Babylon that I was talking about earlier. The king of Nineveh ordered the whole city to fast and repent when Jonah came to them and said, I'm gonna, God is going to destroy this whole city if you don't repent. Well, they repented, but they didn't think their repentance was good enough. So they put on sackcloth and ashes by order of the king, and they fasted. At the end of that time, God spared Nineveh. You know what fasting in is? It's pressing in closer and closer, even when it hurts to God. It'll bring about a closeness most of us have never realized. Spiritual recuperation. Elijah fasted 40 days after killing the prophets of Baal, or after God using him to do that. Esther and the Jews of Shushan fasted. I already said that one. Gang, I hesitate to tell you this, uh, because you're really, it's not something you're supposed to talk about, but I don't know any other way around it. I want to challenge us, because the year first started, we're a little late in the game, but I want to challenge us as a church, anybody who wants to, and I pray, and I hope and pray, it's all of us together, but, but we've heard a lot of talk about God doing something different in a sea of churches. Wouldn't it be nice if God started a movement? I mean, honestly, we don't need another church. There's 1,000 plus churches in the area. Don't, we don't need another church. But what if there was a movement that changed lives, completely changed lives? Well, movements don't start until God's people humble themselves and press in really close. I think it would be a great idea as a church. Not everybody, because some people, maybe for medical reasons, or some of you just spiritually, maybe you aren't there, but if you want to dream again, you want to get close. And as we kick off this series, why not as a church start the Daniel fast together? Now, now, some of you go, whoa, 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 you already mentioned the Daniel fast. Here's what I didn't like about it, Pastor, the 21 days part. I don't like that. Do you have a 21-minute fast that I could do? In fact, I'm on it right now. You'll notice I'm not eating. I'm fasting. Let's just call it that. No. But I'll tell you what you can do. As a church, I would like to do that. I, I've been on it, gang. I've been, I've been, this is my day 13 or 14. I've lost track. And God has already given me more clarity and more direction for this church than I think I had in the first year of a launch team. He is speaking, and he's speaking loud, and he's speaking clear, and I can't wait to share that with you, but I want you to be ready. You ever notice how some people aren't always ready to hear things? It's kind of like when Joseph shared the dream with his brothers. They weren't ready to hear that. We're going to find out later that everything he dreamt about came to pass, but there probably would have been a better time to share that dream. 
I've got dreams for impact I want to share with you. Not sure you're all ready. In fact, I'm pretty convinced there's a, a good chunk of you that aren't. So I would love for you to join me in this time of fasting. Some of you are going, well, you're already 14 days ahead, so it's a seven-day fast for us, right? Okay, use whatever you need to do. But gang, as long as you're trying to manipulate or work things, let me give you the good news first. So let me give you the bad news first. As long as you're trying to, to, to manipulate and work things, then you're really not showing your heart to God. But if you have the right heart before God in this, you can fast for one day. One day. It would be powerful. Listen, do you know why the Daniel fast is called a 21-day fast, the 21-day Daniel fast? Just to ease your, your worries? It's because... Daniel was asking for the Lord to give him clarity and to tell him what the vision meant, and it terrified him. So he began fasting. On the 21st day, an angel appeared to him and told him. All right, if an angel would have appeared on day eight, it would be called the Daniel eight-day fast. It's called the 21-day fast just because it took 20. So 21 is not magical. It's not some biblical number. The point is, when you fast, the presence of God, it's like other things are removed, and there's a closeness of the presence of God that's, that's palpable, that is tangible. You can... You can Touch it, feel it so much closer. We need that as a church. Quite bluntly, as a new church plant, I think already we've had our fair share of obstacles and hurdles already. Many of you have told me, I never knew planning a church was this hard. Otherwise, I wouldn't have signed up. This is hard. Yes, I told you. Many of you will recall that I told you. And you go, yes, but we weren't listening to you. You weren't ready to hear it. It's tough. It's tough. Others who've started off fired up at impact have drifted away because maybe they expected immediate mountaintop experiences and never anticipated trudging through the valley along the way. There may be some hanging by a thread. We're in week 20 now. You want to be a part of something different. You want to be a part of something big, something great, something worth giving your life for, but you're not sure that you're up to the task. You feel like pulling back right now when you should be pressing in. Don't pull back right now. Don't. These pains you're feeling, they're not death rows. They're birth pains. Don't leave when something beautiful is being birthed. God wants to use you and me to do great things for his kingdom. Listen, there is no doubt that the harvest is great. It says so right in scripture. The harvest is great. It's plentiful. The problem is workers. The problem has always been motivating workers to hang in there long enough to turn it and to get the ball rolling and get it over the ledge and pick up speed. That's why 90% of church plants never get past 80 people. Well, we already broke that. They never make it past a couple of years. They'll never reach 200. We've already broken through all of those as a church plan, but that doesn't mean it's easy. These are crucial times for God to press us in and for him to do something great. So God will call you and he will use you if you want to do something great, absolutely, but he will almost certainly test you first. He will most certainly build endurance and perseverance in you first, and he will definitely build a core team of people who believe and endure first. I was thinking about this today. I, was, I love reading the story of Balaam because God brought wisdom because the prophet of Israel was so stupid that he brought wisdom out of the mouth of a donkey. I was thinking, if God can bring wisdom from the mouth of a donkey, he can use you and me to speak boldly to a lost and dying world. I'm thinking. And if God can save the world in a 100-year-old wooden ship with Noah, he can start a church in a nice brand new high school. And if God can raise up a 15-year-old boy to kill giants with a slingshot, I'm talking about David again, 
then he can raise up a small group of unified church planters to start a giant ministry that will one day touch the world. Can he? He either can or he can't. In fact, I'm convinced that God could bring hope and worth and joy out of a garbage heap if he wanted to. Take a look. Y mueven esa llavecita del sentimiento más profundo de, de los niños y jóvenes que empiezan a replantearse su propia vida eh, en, en la que tienen todo. Isn't that incredible, gang? It's amazing what God can do with nothing. Some of us look at our lives, we hit a couple of obstacles, and we go, the dream is over. God doesn't care. He's not with me. And you look at people who, by the way, they didn't live around a landfill. They live in the landfill. These people, live, these people literally live among garbage. So what could they possibly look at that could make their lives any better? They, all they could look at was the garbage. And they used that. But I promised you a shortcut, and fasting is it. Here's what I'm going to do for some of you that are going, I have no idea how to do this. How does he expect us to follow this? How are we going to unite behind this? Write this down. I'm going to give you all the help I can, okay? And it's coming immediately. RobSingleton.com. You can remember that, right? Everybody got that? RobSingleton.com. Go to my blog tomorrow, and I'm going to have steps that you can take to join the Daniel Fast. And by the way, you can do your own fasting. You can do a one-day water-only fast. You can do the Daniel Fast for three or four days. You can do it for all 21 days. But what are we fasting for? I definitely need you to get this, gang. We're fasting for this, and you'll want to get this down. I'll say them twice. God's favor. We're fasting for God's favor. Fasting to you gather workers for the harvest. What he's called us to do is not going to be easy. We need more people to join our teams. Gather workers for the harvest. We're going to be fasting individually for what he would have us do. In other words, you, Russ, you fast. God, what do you want me to do? Russ, snapper. Jana, Tyson, what do you want me to do? Michelle Singleton, what do you want me to do? Rob, Pastor Singleton, what do you want me to do, God? Not everybody else, but what do you want me to do? We're fasting for unity and clarity of vision as a church. Unity and clarity of vision. And finally, that God would add to us daily, hear this, those who are being saved. I have no desire to reshuffle the deck in Charlotte. I don't know if you do or not, but we don't need to move people around for different churches. That's never been the goal. I want God to add people to us, those who are coming to know him. New conversion growth is the healthiest growth any kind of church could ever have. Well, you prepare your hearts to give back to God. Remember, go to that blog, robsingleton.com tomorrow, and all that stuff will be up there if you want to join me on this. As we prepare to give back to God, understand this. Any kind of vision, any kind of movement takes resources to get it going. And so I encourage you to faithfully give. And give of your first fruits. True story. I don't remember where I heard this, but story of a missionary in Africa who received a knock at the door in his hut one afternoon. I love this. And answering, the missionary found a native boy holding a large fish in his hands. The boy said, Reverend, you taught us what tithing is, so here I, I brought you my tithe. And as the missionary gratefully took the fish, he questioned the boy, and he says, if this is your tithe, where's the other nine fish? And he said, well, they're still back at the river. I'm going back to catch them now. Think about that. Think about that little boy's heart. Well, why didn't he just catch them all and then give them one? 
because he was so focused on God, as soon as he got the first big fish, he ran and gave it to the mission. He ran and gave it to God. And then he believed, if I go down to the river, God will take care of my needs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Then let's give and let's support this ministry generously of our first fruits. Let me pray, and then I would love to meet you guys and greet you guys at the door. Father, thank you so much. Father, for the movement that we believe Impact Church is going to become, Lord, we want to do exactly what you came to do. You came to seek and to save that which is lost. So we need to be about that. And once we find them, Lord, through the gospel, we need to be about raising them up and training them up. And Lord, thank you for the exciting ideas and plans you've given us for that. Lord, we need workers for the harvest, Lord. We need everybody unified and on mission, Father. And Lord, even where there's chiseling to take place, we... We offer ourselves to you, Lord, prepared uh, for anything that you need to do in our hearts and lives as individuals and as a body to get us ready for this beautiful thing that you've called impact, to make an impact for your name, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.